Once again, thank you all for being here today. As I mentioned earlier, we are starting a brand new message series this morning. And if you're newer to Hope, that's all right, come right <laughs> Normally, I just talk a little bit to let the band go down, but I start. Anyway, uh, if you're newer to Hope, this is what we do. Essentially, we take a topic and we talk about it for a number of weeks in a series. This is a little tiny series, a little two-part series, and we're calling this series More Problems, More Money, More Problems. More Money, More Problems. I really, really, really wanted to call it Mo Money, Mo Problems. I'm like, I'm trying to do my impression of a proper, adult, mature pastor, and so we're calling it More Money, more problems. And so we're going to be talking about money for just a couple weeks. And uh, here's the reason why we're doing this. Um, you may recall, if you've been with us for a little while now, in October we did a series called Leap. And we talked a lot about this guy from the Old Testament named Nehemiah. And one of the many lessons that we learned from Nehemiah is how important it is to be reminded and be a reminder. There's so many things in this life that we hear and we know and we believe they're true, but we just need to be reminded about them from time to time. And money is one of these things. Uh, Jesus describes that this, this, this thing that happens, that wealth can be deceitful. There is a deceitfulness about wealth. And the scripture has so much to say about money. And yes, in a two-week series, we're just going to scratch the surface. But there is a trend that I've noticed in the few churches that I've been a part of in the past. When the preacher stands up and gives either a sermon or a message series about money, there's often something that happens right after the end of that series. You see a little bump in the weekly giving, Right? You might wonder, well, why is that? Is it because the preacher is such an awesome speaker and makes a convincing you know, argument for why we should give back to God? Is it because the preacher is just great at guilting people into putting stuff in the offering plate? And I don't, know, I don't know if either of those are the case. I think that how we handle our money is just one of these things that we need to be reminded about. Money is such a big part of our lives. We need to be reminded about how God intends us to use this resource. Now, there is a saying, it's a misquote from Scripture, and maybe you've heard it before. You've heard somebody say that money is the root of all evil. Have you heard that? Well, money is the root of all evil. And that's a, that's a misquote from Scripture, and that's not true at all if you think about it. Money isn't evil. You need money to buy, like, I don't know, food, shelter, clothing, necessities, right? Money is a necessity, right? It's something that you have to deal with in this life, and you need it to buy stuff that you need to survive. And so money is not the root of evil. The actual Scripture verse says that money is the root of all sorts of evil. Again, that's another way that sometimes people misquote that verse. They say, well, it's the root of all evil. Well, it's the root of all sorts. The love of money. The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. In fact, why don't we take a minute to look that up. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn with me. If you want to look it up on your phone, you can. Just going to be here briefly in 1 Timothy chapter 6. And so this book of 1 Timothy, this was written by a man named Paul who had mentored a young man named Timothy, and Timothy was about to be a pastor, and so he's giving him this advice and warning him about some of the, um, the pitfalls of ministry and how people can be led astray by money. And he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment, to be content with what you have. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. That's a wonderful truth, isn't it? I don't, well, it's a, it's a truth. <laughs> wonderful or not, it's a truth. And sometimes we talk about the fact that, well, you can't take it with you. That's true, but if you think about it, you didn't bring anything with you into this world, you can't take anything out of this world with you. <clears throat> but if we have, verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Oh, the value of contentment. If you have your needs met, be content with that. Just, be, just oh, that there's a freedom in contentment. 
I've got what I need. Is it all that I want? Probably not. Do other people have more? Almost certainly. But I have what I need to be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. If that's the desire of your heart to accumulate wealth, there's a trap there. They fall into a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Wow, Paul, he's not holding back on this. If that's the pursuit of all the things there are to pursue, pursue in life, if one is pursuing wealth or riches above all else, that is a trap. There are many dangers, and it can lead you astray. For the love of money not just money, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not just one little evil, not one bad thing, but all sorts of evil. Some people, and this is now very specific to Christianity, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Again, Jesus talks about the deceitfulness of wealth, and in the Gospels, he talks about how that that temptation to, to pursue wealth can lead us away from his word, lead us away from his truth. Now, Paul is writing, this is in like decades after Jesus was on the earth, he's ascended into heaven. This is in the early stages of the church, and already you had people who believed in Jesus, who accepted him, but then just kind of walked away because they wanted to pursue wealth. Already people were falling away because of their desires for riches. This is a huge thing in our lives. And the way we think about money, the way that we handle our money, It's a big deal. Now, I'll tell you what. When I was growing up, I felt, I felt poor. I felt poor. You know why I felt poor? Because I played the comparison game. And I looked at my friends, and it felt like, like, or it seemed like all my friends had the best stuff, and I didn't, right? And we'd show up for school, and elementary school, or wherever it was, and my friends, they... They all seem to have more money than me, and they're wearing the newest sneakers, right? They're wearing the Nikes, and I'm wearing my Payless kicks, you know what I mean? I'm wearing my Kmart kicks. They come in with their Air Jordans, and I'm like, oh, awesome. These are from Payless. They had the shoes that had the pump-up thing. Did you ever have the shoes? The I never had the shoes with the pump-up thing. They had the pump-up thing. That meant they were rich, and it meant that I was poor. And they'd come in talking about the show they saw on TV. I'm like, well, we don't have cable. We didn't have cable growing up, and I, I, I'm glad we didn't. I've never had cable, and I'm glad we didn't, right? But there was just certain things. I was playing the comparison game when it looked like most of the people around me had more stuff than me. So I said, well, I guess I'm poor. By the time I went to my first college, by the way, I went to a few before it actually took. But by the time I went to my first college, it was a whole, that whole thing was exacerbated. Because there I was and I felt like I was surrounded by rich kids. The school I went to, it felt like they were all rich kids around me. And mommy and daddy were writing the checks and paying for tuition and paying for rent or paying for their books and all this stuff. And I had to work two jobs just to make my way through school. And I didn't last very long there. It was only one year I lasted there. But I had to work for it. And it's tough not to feel, listen, it's tough not to feel a little bit bitter about that or a whole lot bitter about that. It's like, well, this isn't fair. Well, I don't know what fair has to do with it. It just is. It's just a situation, right? Why do some people have more and some people have less? And one of the reasons I left that school is because I just, I could, this wasn't worth it to me. I can't be working this hard and spending this much money on this education. I got to do something else. And so eventually I came back home and I went to community college, which I could afford, right? And so there was a humbling thing that happens when you realize, and maybe this has happened to, well, maybe this has happened to a lot of us in this room, where you have those moments in life where you realize, I'm living beyond my means. 
And maybe I want what other people have, and maybe I wish I could go to a different school, or maybe I wish I could afford certain things, or maybe I wish I could you know, go out and party instead of working two jobs, but this is, just, this is just how it is. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. At my poorest point in life, I still had everything I needed. I still had food to eat. I still had access to clean water. Right? I still had shelter. I still had clothing. I had all of my needs met even at my poor. I was never homeless. I don't know what that's like. I've never been there. And so, again, it's this comparison game, and I think we all do it. No matter how much wealth you have, how many riches, how much stuff, you can always look to somebody else and say, well, I'm not like that guy, right? I may be a millionaire, but I'm not a billionaire. Look at that guy. Even billionaires can say, well, I may be a billionaire, but I'm not Bill Gates. You know what I mean? I don't have Gates money. You know what I mean? You can always look to other people and play that comparison game instead of thinking about what do you actually have and what do you actually need. And so there is this idea, again, when it comes to what Paul talked about, the love of money, there is this idea that, that people who have a lot of wealth, who have a lot of money or a lot of stuff, a lot of comforts in their life, that they must be lovers of money. Now, that's not necessarily the case. And so on the one end of the spectrum, you have the very rich, and on the other end of the spectrum, you have the very poor. And like I said, some people make that assumption, hey, you have a lot, so that must mean you are a lover of money. No, that's not the case necessarily. In fact, I know quite a few people down here in this category over here who have very little, but they seem to display the traits of lovers of money. They're always fixated on it. They want it. They desire it. They're jealous or they covet what other people have. So just because you don't have a lot of money doesn't mean you don't love it. And just because you do have a lot of money doesn't mean you do love it. Is that, is that is making sense? This stuff sounded good in my head, but no, does that make sense? Just because you have a lot doesn't mean that you're a lover of money. Now, you can be. You absolutely can be. You can be a lover of money in this category. You can be a lover of money down here if you don't have a lot of it. And that becomes a trap. The scripture passage that Holly read for us this morning is from the book of Proverbs. And um, the book of Proverbs is in the Old Testament. It's a book of wisdom. Uh, Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, was the main contributor to this book. He wrote most of these Proverbs. But then we get this one from this guy, Agur, which is a fun name. Any Agurs here this morning? A-G-U-R? No? All right. That's a name I don't think we're going to see ever come back. But anyway, this guy writes to us, writes these, uh, this, this proverb, Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. And there's some stuff that he says here that I feel like we can get all, we all get on board with and make sense and we agree with him. We're like, yeah, we want to pray these kind of things too. But here's what he says. This is a prayer. This is his personal prayer. Here's what he says. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. That's great. That's great. I can, I can pray that. No problem, right? I can emulate Edgar in that sense. God, keep, keep lies far from me. Keep deception far from me. Keep these things that might lead me away from you. Keep, them, keep these lies away from me. I don't want that. I don't want to be fooled, right? Did you ever feel that way? You've been conned. Like, oh, I don't want to feel like that. So keep those things far from me. I can pray that, no problem. Give me neither poverty. I'm still with you, Edgar. Don't give me poverty. Keep lies away from me. Keep poverty away from me. Give me neither poverty nor Riches. Wow. Isn't that what we're supposed to pray for? God, bless me with stuff. Bless me with stuff. Bless me with stuff. Wow. Don't know. 
don't give me poverty, God, and don't give me riches. Well, why not? Only give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or, on the other hand, become too poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. At both end of the spectrum, ends of the spectrum, at both extremes, and really at every point along the way, there is danger in how we think about money, how we view money. And it's a real thing. I mean, Jesus talks about this. He says it's, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of heaven, right? And most of us, when we hear that verse, we think, yeah, but I'd like to give it a try. I think I can handle it, right? But over here in that wealth category, you can have so much that that wealth begins to define you. You find your sense of, of importance. You find your sense of self. You, your identity is tied to that wealth and that status and what you can afford and the comforts that you can afford and all of this. And you can start to rely so easy. I mean, it's, it's almost our default wiring as human beings. If we have plenty of savings, if we have plenty of the retirement, we can just coast on that and rest and say, okay, I'm good to go. And see, that might be the way that the world thinks, but those of us, if you're in this room this morning and if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're not supposed to find a sense of security in that stuff because it can all be taken from us. It can be stolen. It can be lost. It can be squandered. We can be conned out of it. We're supposed to find our sense of security and identity and purpose in Christ in the relationship we have with Jesus. Once upon a time, somebody once told me is, is the way that God sees you, that's who you really are. That's how value, and, and he loves us. We're precious to him. That's who we really are. We find our sense of self in Christ. But then down here over this end, in the, in, you know, the poverty end of things, that could be a, a temptation too because in those moments, there can be bitterness. You can feel that bitterness of I wish what they had, and there's the temptation to take what belongs to somebody else. I mean, there's that age-old question, right? If you stole a loaf of bread to feed your starving family, is that wrong? You've heard that before, right? You've heard that debated. Well, you're trying to feed your starving family. Is it wrong to steal a loaf of bread to save your starving family? Is that wrong? Well, you're taking what does not belong to you. You're taking the fruit of someone else's labor. Why do you think you're more entitled to it than they are? Goodness gracious. Now... I don't want to get all kinds of political on you, all right? <laughs> but we do live in a day and age where I think there's a, I'm almost sure of it, there are a growing number of Americans that feel like they're entitled to the fruit of somebody else's labor. You have what I want. You have what I need. I feel like I should be able to take it from you or enlist the might of the government to take it from you so that I can have it. That's as political as we're going to get. Let's shut that down. Let's move on from that. But that sense of entitlement, that sense, and, and it's, it's the state of being not content with what you have. That's really it. Now, let me ask you a question. Nobody needs to raise their hand. We're going to keep this general. Okay. Where are you on this wealth spectrum? Okay. Are you hanging out over here? Are you hanging out closer down here? Let's talk about if you're down here in this area. Here's what I want you to, to think about. Are your needs met today? today. 
Do you have enough to eat today? Do you have shelter today? Do you have clean water to drink, access to clean water? Do you have those things? Do you have those necessities today? If so, be content with today. Maybe you don't, and, and, and <laughs> easier said than done, am I right? Well, what about tomorrow? I know, I know. If you don't, listen, if you don't have those things, talk to me after the service. If you're lack, this is the point of being a church and being a church family, is there are times, our family's been through it, some of you have been through it, there are times where you are legitimately in need, and to have a church family to back you up and say, we're not going to let you be homeless, we're not going to let you starve, to link arms together and say, we're going to help you out. If you are truly in need, let, you can be in private, and that's the other thing about being a church is... You know, there's an offering plate that gets passed around and there's a budget and we have all these things, but, you know, some of this money goes to people in need in our community and it's kind of a confidential thing. We want you to know about it, but at the same time, it's not like we want to listen. Here's all the people who are sitting out there that we've helped. You know what I mean? It's a weird thing. But if you need help, bottom line, please talk to me after the service, find somebody and let them know. But the question I want you to consider is, are you really in need? Do you really have too little or do you just have less than you want? Do you really have too little? Or do you just have less than you want? Here's another question to ask. Do you really have too little? Or do you just have less than you think you're supposed to have? That's another question. Do you have too little? Or do you just think you have less than you're supposed to have? Because <laughs> we live in a culture. And so much of our culture tells us, well, you're supposed to have this. You're supposed to own a home. Really? Is that, is that what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to own a home. You're supposed to have a car. Really? Is that a necessity? You're supposed to have this. You're supposed to have that. You're supposed to have these. You're supposed to have a retirement account. You're supposed to have all. For survival, how much of those things do we actually need? Do you really have too little or do you just have less than culture is telling you you need to have? I've got a cell phone backstage that I don't need to survive. Man, it makes, it makes life more convenient. Anything, oh, just, just ask a question. It's right there. You don't, these are not essentials, right? I remember years ago, somebody came up to me and said, man, I'm not making enough money at my job. I can barely pay my cable bill. <laughs> then, then don't have cable. Oh, is that an option? Yeah. What about the internet? What about my internet bill? You know what? The internet? Whoo. Some of you youngsters don't know about the days before the internet. You went to the library and had a card catalog. Oh, my goodness. The internet, do you need it to survive? I mean, it really makes life more convenient. It's tough, it's tough, but you don't need it to survive. So there are ways that we can cut back. And listen, I'm speaking to you as one who has been humbled and has had to realize, I can't afford this. I think I should have it. My peers have it, but I can't afford it. That's a tough pill to swallow. But you know what? Then you go back and you find that sense of contentment. <gasps> my needs are met. I have a roof over my head. I've got heat, access to heat. My goodness gracious, what a blessing to have access to heat and shelter and clothing and food and water to find contentment with that. Now let's talk to the people over here. And this is, nobody wants to admit they're in this category, but some of you are. You're closer to over here. You've got some wealth you have. If you have what they call, what do they call it? Disposable income. Oh, what a horrible, like you could throw it out? Disposable? 
If you have money for non-essentials, and you decide what that is, and I need to tell you something, nobody wants to admit they're here, but if you think about it from a global perspective, I think we're all here. I think we're all pretty close to here. If you have more money than you need, if you have a bit of wealth to you, there's, there's, again, there's danger there of saying, well, I, I want more than what I have. Because here's something that so many people have learned throughout history. And maybe you've had to experience this. Maybe you've learned this the hard way, that once you get that next tier up, there's always another tier. Once you buy that bigger house, there's always a bigger one. And once you get that new car, it's going to get old one day, right? There are all these things. But to instead of questing after, well, what's next? I've made it this far. What's next? To find contentment with what you have and to fully rely on Jesus Christ, to, to, to make it a choice. I know I've got this stuff. I know I've got you know, wealth to fall back, and I know I have that, but I don't find security there. I find my security in Jesus Christ. Here's the trap of all this, and I think this is what Paul was trying to warn us about here. There's a trap. It's like you think if I get that next thing, then I'll be satisfied. But you're not. Listen, I've done it. Once I buy this thing, oh, it's going to be peace of mind, and I'm not, then you get it. It's not enough. It does not satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. Here's the truth, though. When we pursue the things of God, right? Accomplishing His will and doing, when we pursue those things, there is satisfaction in that. But there's not satisfaction in these worldly pursuits. You just want the next thing, you just want something more. There is a relatively well known passage of Scripture. Uh, in the book of Matthew, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus early on in his ministry, certainly in his, or almost certainly in his first year of ministry, and he gives this sermon, and he's on a mountain, which is why we call it the Sermon on the Mountain. And he teaches about a lot of things, but in chapter 6, he talks about money. And uh, I'm going to turn there now. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 19. And this is, listen, this is God warning us. We go back to who God is. He is our advocate. He's on our side. He wants to protect us from harm. He wants to protect us from the dangers that exist in the world and the temptations in this world and things that can derail us. And here's what Jesus says. Chapter 6, starting with verse 19. And again, if you've spent enough time in a church setting, you've heard these things before. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, that's a fun word, vermin, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For the past two weeks, this one verse, I've been wrestling with this one verse. I've heard, listen, I'm a church kid. I grew up going to church. I've heard this one before, right? It's at the point where you can just kind of read it and be like, yeah, yeah, it sounds good, Jesus. That sounds great. But what, is that, what does that mean? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What do you treasure? What is your treasure? It's what you value, what you find important to you. And it's not necessarily a material thing, but it could be. What are those things that you treasure? And whatever it is you're treasuring, that's where your passion is. That's where your focus is. That's where, you know, the way that they talked about heart in Jesus' day is like, that's, your heart is who you are. For what you value, that's where you are. That's where your attention is. That's what your focus is on. 
Let me put this in a different way, okay? The way Jesus said it was best, but I want to put it a different way, okay? Always default with the way Jesus said it. But think of it this way, right? What you want is what you work for. What you want, your treasure, that's your treasure, what you want. What you want is what you work for. What, I know that's not a grammatically correct sentence. I apologize for that. What you want is what you work for, or the things that you want are the things that you work for. What do you want in this life? That's what you're working for. What, what do you want? What do you want out of this life? When was the last time you paused and asked yourself that question? Now, it's been a while since I saw the hit movie in the notebook. But that movie has lived on in meme form. What's that scene? What do you want? Right? And he yells, what do you want? He just, what do you want? What, what do you want out of this life? What do you want in this life? I want to encourage you to do a little exercise that, let's be honest, you're probably not going to do. But you should do it. You should, it's a good little exercise. I know it's like pastors always like, here's something you should do. I'm not doing that. Anyway, a little exercise. I did it this past week. I would encourage you to do it, you know, if you want to. Sit down. Write a list. What do I want? Right? Let's write it down. Here's the stuff I want. Here's the stuff I want. And if you're going to do this, I want to encourage you to be honest. Nobody's going to see this. Don't email it to me. I don't want to see it, right? <laughs> don't share it with your spouse even. Keep it to yourself. Keep it private. No judgment. What do you really want? Not like, well, I'm a Christian, so here's what I'm supposed to. No, what do you actually want? I want a bigger house. Write it down. I want a nicer car. Write it down. I want a bigger basement that I can convert to a functioning bat cave. Write it down, right? <laughs> Is that not universal? Doesn't everybody want that? All right, I'm not the only one. Okay, I'll admit it. Just start writing this stuff down and keep writing. And keep writing. And you're going to land on some important things too. Maybe for you, the important stuff's going to be at the top. What do you want? Well, I, 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 you know, I want my kids to know Jesus as their Savior. That's probably pretty important. That probably should be at the top of the list. I don't know. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's important. You're going to land on some important stuff as well. What do you want? What do I want? Well, I mean, I want, I want people to be able to have access to food and clean water and shelter and affordable health care and basic necessities. and Yeah, that's something I want. What do you want? Well, I, 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 I want to be loved. Don't we all want to be loved, right? What do you want? Maybe there's some more superficial stuff. Just again, don't criticize yourself. Don't be judgmental of yourself. What do you want? I want to be better looking, right? I want to be more handsome or more beautiful. I want more followers on social media. Just write it, whatever it is. Be honest. Nobody else is going to see this. Just be honest. What do you want? Write that list down. You might be surprised. You're like, yeah, I didn't I didn't really realize I wanted all this stuff. Because what you want is what you're working for. Whether you're conscious of it or not, whether you're intentional about it or not, what you want is what you're working for. That's why you're on Zillow so often, looking at homes that you're not going to buy. Why you, why is your, that's where your heart is. Your focus is on that. That's nice. That would be nice right there. Why are you doing that? You can't afford it. Because your heart is there and it's what you want, right? That felt like a more universal example than the Batcave thing. All right. We, we got one. All right. What, what do you want? Take that list. Judgment free. Know what you want because whatever it is you want, guess what? That's what you're working for. What you want is what you work for. What you want is where your heart is. What you want is where your focus is. Know what you want. And then after you finish that list, go ahead and write another list, a different list. What does God want? Write that list. What does God want? 
you know, back in September, we did a series called Lost Church, and we spent a good bit of that series talking about that very question. What is it that God wants? Start listing some stuff down. And you could just, well, you know, if you use Scripture to inform, you know, that list, that's really the way to go about it, right? Instead of guessing, well, I guess this is what God wants. If you use Scripture to inform, okay, what, what does God, what does God want? One of the things that we know from Scripture is that God wants everyone, everyone to come to repentance and accept Jesus as their Savior. I would write that at the top. In fact, I did. Write it at the top of the list. What does God want? That's what he wants. Beyond that, God wants everybody, everybody to live the wise way, or as Scripture says, the righteous path. You know, this world is full of dangers, and God gives us these boundaries to live within for our own protection. He's given us a way to live that's wise in the midst of a crazy, chaotic, foolish world. He wants us. He wants what's best for us in the here and now. It's not just about beyond. It's not just about salvation, as big as salvation is. He also wants what's best for us now. He wants to, us to enter into this thing called discipleship where we're actively growing in our relationship with him and our knowledge of him, and we're sharing Jesus with other people. What does God want? He wants those things. What else does God want? Well, he wants his children taken care of. And if there are poor, he wants them fed and taken care of. And if there are people who need clothing, he wants them to have that clothing. If there are people who need shelter, he wants them to have shelter. He, want, he cares about those needs as well. Start writing that list. What does God want? And then, if you really want, like, your black belt in Christianity, here's the exercise you do, all right? If you really want, you know, your black belt in Christianity, take those two lists and then reorient your list around God's list. What do I want? If you're here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, what we, here's what we know. We should want what God wants. We're his people. We're supposed to be on his side. We're supposed to be on team God, whatever that means. We're supposed to want. Our desires are supposed to align with God's. Now, you've probably heard the saying, the heart wants what the heart wants. <laughs> the heart wants what the heart wants. Have you heard that? And we say that to mean, well, you, just, you can't help what you desire. You can't help what you want, and we usually use that phrase talking about relationships. But anyway, the heart wants what the heart wants, and you can't change it. Guess what? That's nonsense. You can change it. You can change the desire. You can change your wants. You can modify that list. You can take a look at that list and say, you know what? There are some really superficial, dumb things that I want. Forget about it. I don't want them anymore. I don't want that. You look at those dumb things in that list, and you say, listen, if I got that, would my life be better? Would I be more content? Would I be more content if I had that next thing? My goodness, the, the amount of stuff that we want, that we think that we need, all these things that we own, they end up owning us. Because all these things that we own, they require maintenance and upkeep. And the more you have, the more temptation there is to be led away from God. And the more expendable income you have, the more sinning you can afford to do. That's just all there is to it. The more money you have, the more wealth you have, that's one of the pitfalls of wealth. Well, look, now I can afford to do sins. I couldn't afford those sins when I was poor, but now I can afford those sins. You can afford that, to actively do stuff that pulls you away from your relationship with Jesus Christ. So many of us in this room, we have too much. We have too much. It's leading us away from God. I don't know how many churches in America are going to hear that message. We've got too much. Those of you who have been with me to Kenya, you, you've seen it. <laughs> you've seen real poverty. You've seen real poverty. There is a danger in having too much. There is a danger in having too little. What we need to identify is what is it that we want? Are we willing 
to reorient our wants around what God wants. Are we willing to do that? There's a couple things that I find very encouraging. Here's one of them, all right? There's been this, this push towards minimalism, right? You know about minimalism, right? The past 10 years, specifically the past five years, this idea that we can live better off of less. We don't need bigger. We need, let's do, let's do smaller. This idea of intentionally, and, and, and listen, we've got families in this church, multiple families who have made this choice to intentionally live below your means so that you have more time with your family, more time for, yeah, maybe I could put in more hours, maybe I could get that next job, but I don't need that. Living below your means on purpose so you can give back more to God and give to people who are in need, intentionally living beyond your means. And this whole minimalism thing, it's not really tied to Christianity. But those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we should be leading the charge in minimalism. Have less stuff and live better lives. Invest more in the things of God. That's a beautiful thing. I'm very encouraged by that. But it is counterintuitive and a little bit counter to one of those elements of the American dream. More, 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 more. No, less, less, less. I feel like we're starting to catch on (laughs) that we're not finding happiness or satisfaction in more. We can live much better with less, less, less to take care of. I tell you what, when one of those shows pops up on my TV, Chip and Joanna Fixer Up. Whatever, what is that show, Chip and Joanna Fixer Upper? You know what I mean? Wow, look at that big house. There's a part of me that thinks, wow, that's awesome. I wish I had a house like that. And then there's another part of me that's like, I can't take care of all that. If something breaks, I'm done for. We got to clean all that. Forget it. The more you have, the more you have to take care of. The more money you spend taking care of it, the more time you spend taking care of it. If you intentionally live beyond, below your means, there's freedom in that. But so many of us Americans, we do the opposite. We live above our means, and we put ourselves in debt. Does that lead to contentment? Hmm. Watch for that. So I'm encouraged by this minimalism thing. I'm encouraged by that. Here's something else that I'm encouraged by. I'm encouraged, as I've mentioned, we're about to move into this new property. We're about to become property owners and all that. I'm incredibly encouraged by the amount of people who have volunteered to be a part of this effort and making this thing happen. I am incredibly encouraged by that. Why? Because what you want is what you work for. And it seems to me like we've got a critical number of people here who want good things for this community, and they're willing to work for it, to work toward it. They're willing to roll up. You are willing to roll up your sleeves and work for it. It's what you want. You want your 60,000 neighbors, more of your 60,000 neighbors to know Jesus as their Savior. You want more of your 60,000 neighbors not only to know him as their Savior, but to know how he has taught us to live. You want that, and you're willing to work for it. I love it. In fact, I think we have like over 100% of our people engaged in this. I've, just some people that aren't even in this church have found out about it. What can I do to help? I'm like, are you kidding me? I find that very encouraging. Here's a crazy thing. You know, we're in this process, and it's a whole lot of fun. We're doing praying. Praying is priority number one. But we're also, you know, talking to contractors and getting estimates, and we've got a project manager. We're trying to price all this stuff out. We don't, we've got a ballpark of, you know, $500,000 down the road of all this money it's going to take to do this. But our short-term estimate, we haven't even fully calculated that yet. We don't have a number yet. But even before we have a number, we've even had people willing to give financially to this. Are you crazy? That's, that's so encouraging. 
that people care enough about this community and they're really to work toward it, they're really to, to invest in it. That's a beautiful, wonderful thing. I'm so encouraged by you, church. Thank you for being you. Thank you for wanting the things of God. We need to want the things of God. We need to be mindful of what is it that God wants. And we know, it's not a mystery. If you look to the scripture, we know what he wants. He, what does he want for our 60,000 neighbor, neighbors, for all the people who live in the Ridley Interbury area? What does he want for them? He wants them to know him as Savior and know his way of life, to know the righteous path. That's what God wants. Here's my word of warning. Because yes, this whole property thing is consuming a lot of energy and that, it has to be in its right place. And as we go through this, we need to be vigilant about that. We all need to be vigilant about that. And remember, we're doing this to give God what he wants. This is what we're treasuring. We're not treasuring the building. We're treasuring the lives changed and the lives saved. That's our treasure. And where our treasure is, there our hearts will be. If that's what's valuable to us, no, we want a building to look really nice. That's not it. That's not it. That's just the avenue. That's just the avenue. What we want, our treasure, is to see people baptized to see people confess Christ as Savior, to see lives transformed, and to see people stop crying. It's okay. Well, I'm almost done. I know. That's my cue. Wrap it up, buddy. I'm so sorry. It's all right. We love you, buddy. We want to see, you know, that was, that was in love. That was in love, right? You know, that, we're not picking on anybody. We love our little ones. But that's what we want to see. We, that's what we're treasuring. People coming to know Jesus as their Savior, that's our treasure. That's what we're focused on. That's what we're going to work toward. How many of you, in your, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you in this room have experienced that through hope, through this church, through Christ's church? Life change, reorienting of your priorities, finding salvation. How many of you have stood up here and have been baptized? Wow, that's where our treasure is. And where our treasure is, there our heart is also. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for giving us our daily bread. We thank you for taking care of our basic necessities. Father God, I believe that everyone in this room, that we have in many ways more than we need. And so Father God, cause us to be responsible managers over what you have given us. Father, we want to give you permission to change our hearts and the things that we want, the things that you want, we want that to be the same list. We want to want what you want. We want to treasure and value what's valuable to you. So allow us to be about your will in this community. Allow us to prioritize your wants and allow that to be where our focus is, where our hearts are. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.